0: I'm Dennis Ferris, and this is the Limitless Energy Podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Louisa Ingargiola. Welcome to the Limitless Energy Podcast, Louisa.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Louisa is uh, a very important person to us here at Dragonfly Energy. She is on the board of directors, and she's actually the lead independent director and has been on the board since a year and a half. Yeah, maybe more now my goodness yeah it's, uh,
1: <laughs> thanks a couple years <laughs> yeah
0: and and um i do want to say that uh you're a very important person to me because oh, you. you know you 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 give me comfort you oh, bring expertise you. i don't have uh particularly in the in the arena of finance so let, let's go right into that i want to talk about your okay. your background in finance um you you actually started as the chief financial officer of a of a company. So let's go let's go way okay, back. Way how, back. Did, how did how you get into this game?
1: <laughs> so uh, my education is in business and finance, and my father many many years ago invented a technology uh, a clean tech uh, company that converted uh, there was a gasification system that converted liquid waste to a hydrogen fuel. And it was his life's passion. He was an environmentalist. And one day he came to me and he said, I want to bring this company to Nasdaq. We can change the world. So I, you know, thought, well, I'll just help him on the side part
0: time. So you weren't even working at that point? No, I had small
1: children and I was I offered to just help him part time just to you know, see if I could do anything. Uh, But all of a sudden we started getting traction and there was a lot of companies interested in investing and um, you know, we had major customers interested in the fuel like General Motors and NASA. And so um, one day after a few years of work, we rang the NASDAQ bell, we got it to NASDAQ. So that was very exciting. I was the CFO that drove all of that. And from there, I just opened up a whole new world of, uh, you know, networks and, and opportunities.
0: So your dad's an engineer. He has a clean tech company. Yeah, he's like, if I take this company public, we can do a lot more. How mm-hmm. do I do that? Well, my daughter,
1: yeah, is in business, <laughs> and he just right. went to
0: you and said, "How do we get this on NASDAQ?"
1: Yes, and I actually had no idea. I had no idea. I knew finance, but I didn't know anybody on Wall Street. I didn't know how to take a company public, um, and I just started making calls and networked my way into some uh, a great attorney um, who really helped us. And uh, from there, we got a great investment bank, and we just. Step by step, got there. So I learned a lot along the way, for sure.
0: That's that's a crazy yeah. story. Yeah, and that um,
1: was in 2012, by the way. Okay, so, been a little while.
0: So 2012, you became a CFO. Mm-hmm. Took a, or you, how long? were You said for about a year. You were uh five years. five years, from 2007 to 2012. Just, okay, we worked it. on
1: this. Uh, 2007
0: company. to 2012, you kind of uh, learned the game and yep. took the company public. Yep. in to, in in 2012 on the Nasdaq and from there you became a public company CFO
1: correct and i was on the board of directors of that company okay so Yep. And from there, um, we raised uh, over $50 million in capital as a NASDAQ company over time. And uh, we uh, developed an acetylene replacement fuel that was much cleaner, called Madna and much cleaner than what was available. And we started selling it. But it's very, very difficult, as you know, to sell a disruptive product in an entrenched industry, which it was. And uh, so at some point, uh, we had some offers. We controlled the company. Uh, through a supermajority vote, our family did, and at some point we had some offers from some other groups that wanted to come in and take the company to the next level. So the family kind of bowed out and and, uh, let a new CEO come in, a new CFO, and they took the company uh, a different direction. It ended up going private, and Mm -hmm. so um, at the end of the day, it wasn't exactly what we had hoped for, but I learned a lot along the way,
0: for sure. So why was the initial target NASDAQ?
1: Um, we actually went to New York Stock Exchange as well, um, but um, initially we had two choice, uh, several choices. When you have a startup, you can either go to a, a venture fund or a private equity group to try and raise private capital, or you can go the public company route. So typically, if you go to a venture capital fund. Um, they essentially own you and you're first board. Um, They're not gonna give a lot of cash to a new company without significant teeth uh, controlling the board, the operations, cash raising. And so we learned very quickly that that really wasn't a path we wanted. We wanted our own freedom, we didn't want a lot of debt. Um, and so we decided first to start with the OTC actually, so we went to the OTC, and then we uplisted to NASDAQ. After that,
0: okay, that's over the counter. Over the counter, I'm sorry. And not, yes, not on an exchange. Exactly,
1: exactly. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I mean, the reason I ask is you you know, your dad's like, okay, I want to be on the NASDAQ. That's kind of a tech thing. I yeah. Wanna, that's the that's the tech exchange. Right. It is no. a
1: tech exchange. Yeah. That's the exactly. I'm sorry, I didn't get to that point of it, but yes.
0: <laughs> so so what happened after that? After that company, where did you go from there?
1: So from there, um, I started to receive some offers to join other boards of directors, um, and. And um, so that was very exciting for me. Uh, So I had joined a couple of very early stage NASDAQ companies um, just to kind of get my feet wet on what was involved in being a public company director and uh, what were the next steps, how do you raise capital. So um, I just slowly, you know, grew and grew over years and then eventually became the CFO of another company, a NASDAQ company that's actually a biotech company. But I've always stayed in the, my heart has always been in clean tech and the technology space. Um, So, I'm currently on the board of um, another company called Electromechanica, that's an electric car company. I've been on the board of a drone company and um, a um, automotive technology company, all all different kinds of companies, so.
0: Obviously, our background at Dragonfly Energy, we're we're a green tech company, you know, we do have, I think I probably, would would have a uh, a great relationship with your father? If, yes, you know <laughs> you absolutely
1: would love to talk to my father. <laughs>
0: um, it's it's funny that as starting a, a technology company for me, it was it it didn't occur to me about being public until much later on. You yeah, I didn't I didn't even know that was in the realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. when it was. When it did come time, like I, when I did start thinking about it and I started reading up and like, what does it, what does it mean to be on exchange? Certainly NASDAQ sort of percolated yeah, to the top. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah. I will say it was right around that time uh, that we realized as a company, we needed a board of directors mm-hmm. that was not comprised of just you know, management, and so um, we were very fortunate to be introduced to you, and you were you were excited to join.
1: Yeah, I was very excited.
0: Was that? Um, did you feel at that time? Uh, you know, we as a private company, um, clearly a, a relatively uh, novice management team, from at least from a public uh, mm-hmm. point of view, did did that give you any pause? do you have anxiety about that, or are you like, oh yeah, I want to take this one by the by the horns and and bring it? to So
1: I actually the love the whole markets. management team. Um, especially you I think that what I found is a lot of founders and CEOs have such a ba- big ego that they don't want to listen to advice um, and when you don't have any public company experience and you don't want to listen to advice it's a very dangerous combination because it's very easy to go down a rabbit hole and end up with a problem on the regulatory side um, it's just very very difficult uh, to navigate if you haven't done it for many years so I found immediately that you were just Soaking up whatever information you could get that you were very eager to learn and you were h- happy to take advice. Or at the end of the day, you're the CEO, you're the final decision maker. But at least you would listen to different points of view and and want to learn to become you know a public company executive. So um, that didn't give me any pause at all uh, that you didn't have that background and some of the others didn't have that background. And I also knew that we could build a team with that background. That uh, you at the end of the day, you're the backbone of the company. You're um, you know the founder, the inventor, and you surround your yourself with a great team and you get all the skill set you need so
0: right so so right around that time you you come on board we are certainly down the road of we want to be a public company and we were on a dual track Um, that is we were considering a regular way Mm -hmm. IPO and a SPAC Mm -hmm. and one thing that you brought to the table you were actually on and are on the board of a SPAC so so of course we ended up going public through a SPAC so let's talk about that route okay let okay SPAC 101 what is a SPAC
1: (laughs) okay SPAC 101 SPAC sounds that stands for uh, special purpose acquisition corporation and essentially um, they've been around for many many years people don't realize that they just because it's the latest hot thing in the last couple years but it's been around for at least five to ten years I don't know how long but quite a while and essentially the, the Securities and Exchange Commission as developed and Nasdaq and even the New York Stock Exchange developed a way for a company to go public as a shell in other words as long as they qualified financially for the minimum rules of Nasdaq they didn't have to actually own a company they could come into Nasdaq as a public company as a shell with the sole purpose of finding a target and bringing them public and and um, it caught on like wildfire because all of a sudden you could raise a whole bunch of money and uh, put it in trust and let the management team of the SPAC search out a target company to merge with. And um, all the people that invested in the company that had their money in trust could either decide to stay along for the ride or redeem their cash and and keep a warrant So, um, in the company in the future. So it just became a very uh, lucrative tool for a lot of investors and uh, it was very favorable on the market for a long time.
0: So if we go back 2020, 2021, this mechanism to go public boomed. And yes. a lot of these target companies ended up raising billions of dollars yes, exactly. uh, through, through these SPACs. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's talk about the evolution then. It was a, a really, really hot market. As we were kind of going through the process, the whole idea of going public through a SPAC kind of fell out of favor. Yes, it did. Why? Uh,
1: so um, I think what happened is that the market got flooded with SPACs. Uh, that were searching for a target. So a SPAC has a shelf life. Usually it's 18 to 24 months, depending on how it's... So they can't just stay on NASDAQ with no operations for 10 years. They have a shelf life, after which point they're going to get delisted. So what happened was hundreds of SPACs came on the market at the same time, and then hundreds of SPACs were out looking for a target all at the same time. So what happened was the target's valuation... It's a a law of supply and demand. There was... um, not a lot of supply of target companies but there was a lot of demand so the price of these target companies rose exponentially to a point that was unreasonable. So I'll give you one example. Um, the SPAC I'm on the board of. I won't go into details on names, of course. But there was a Target company that my board of directors, that's very savvy, believed the Target company was worth between 700 and 800 thousand. However, to be competitive, we offered 1.2 billion for this company.
0: So, sorry, 700, 800 million.
1: May uh, yeah, hundred million. I'm so sorry. <laughs> The company, you would have
0: overpaid. I yes, was, we
1: would sorry, have overpaid. Like a... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I've had a long day. <laughs> so the, we believe the target company is worth seven hundred to eight hundred million. Uh, we offered one point two billion because we wanted to be competitive, and actually sold for one point five billion. So that shows, but it really was only worth seven hundred or eight hundred million. So what happens? The companies go public at a very high valuation, and the stock goes. Uh, just because there's mar- natural market forces that are going to bring that stock valuation back to reality. So
0: that overvaluation was competition among the SPACs to yes, get that target
1: exactly. And exactly. then, of
0: course, you're trading on the public markets, and investors are like that is an overvalued company. Yes. Okay.
1: And they sold, and then they shorted, and shorted, and shorted. So next thing you know, a whole flurry of SPACs came out, and they just their stock price just tanked immediately after. And that was the end of the good old SPAC days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that happened right around the time when you had finalized the path into a SPAC. So, um, but at some point you can't pull back anymore. You just have right, to right.
0: run with it. <laughs> well, that certainly made for fun times. Yes, for it us. Was very fun. And, uh, you know, we've we've uh, we've been through quite a lot yes, together, yes, Louisa. Yes, we have. So, um, but it it ended up working out for us, it, yes. you know, the SPAC mechanism itself is is not an evil thing, no, right? It, I totally it's, agree. it's a viable mechanism. Mm-hmm. So if that law of supply and demand that you're alluding to, the, the number of SPACs and the number of reasonable targets matches up, you think this will continue on in the future. Right.
1: Absolutely. I think you're right. The mechanism itself is a very sound mechanism. Um, Investors that invest in the original uh, SPAC as, um, you know, are very protected in the trust account. And it's a very viable option. I think that the SPAC market is going to stabilize now um, because a lot of SPACs are basically falling off. They've timed out. Uh, their shelf life is over, and um, the remaining spacs, the the market will stabilize, and it'll be a great uh, future. I don't know that there'll be a huge boom again, but it'll be a great a great future for sure. Right.
0: I mean, I think at, at Dragonfly, we were really tailor made for a spac because we have we had revenue, so we yes. you know we were actually a a profitable a company. company right. While at the same time, we had a large upside with with some of the new uh, solid state technology that we're deploying.
1: Absolutely. And that's an interesting point. There's a lot of SPACs that went public that found targets that were early stage companies with no revenue at all, um, that didn't have a real strong business. Th- these and, are
0: not public companies. Right. Really. They shouldn't be public. Exactly.
1: Companies. They weren't too early to be public, and they took advantage of the SPAC opportunity. Um, there was nothing wrong with it. Everything was fully disclosed. You know, the majority of them, uh, from a regulatory standpoint, there was nothing. That prevented them from going public, but certainly the value proposition wasn't there for investors, so that became problematic. Whereas so, we're different.
0: But in in the good old days of the SPACs, where there was a <laughs> lot of a lot of SPACs and not a lot of targets, one thing that kind of lagged would be diligence of the targets, right? Yes. So um, by the time we were out, we were diligenced so much that <laughs> I think I. Yes. I don't have a suitable uh, word <laughs> analogy for, <it. laughs> for that, but we were heavily diligent. Yes, and and that I think that it, I think part of the reason that the SPAC became a four-letter word over time is because there was a lack of diligence, yes. and the SEC finally cracked down. Right. Yes. So when the SEC started looking at SPACs in particular and coming out with new new rules, first of all, that halted SPACs for some yes. time. Yes. Yes, and then did that you think initiate some of the, you know, sort of the sentiment the party's over?
1: Um, that definitely played a big role because that the SEC um, kind of crackdown on SPACs happened right around the same time when the overvalued SPAC mar- uh, started to go down and uh, after the the mergers, and. Um, You know, the SEC, I don't think intentionally halted SPACs. Um, It's a very complicated financial reason, but essentially all these SPACs have uh, warrants. Uh, that go along with them to purchase additional stock.
0: Those are options to buy stock.
1: Exactly, options to buy stock, they're called warrants in this case and um, they're considered, they were considered an equity instrument so all the SPACs, hundreds of SPACs, uh, put them on the balance sheet as an equity instrument. When the SEC took a look at it uh, without going into too much technical detail, there were some redemption rights that really caused it to be a, li- a potential contingent liability, which moved it from the equity side to the liability side on the balance sheet. And again, not to get too complicated, but that meant that hundreds of SPACs had to restate their financial statements. And all of the auditors, there's a limited number of auditors um, and accounting firms that were dealing with this, did not have the bandwidth to restate 300 financial statements, and that halted the SPAC market. And unfortunately, a lot of SPACs were timed out during that time. They were just about to close on a merger, and the walls caved in because they couldn't get the deal done, and then they just timed out. A lot of deals collapsed during that time, for sure.
0: Yeah, it is um, crazy that it's an accounting rule change by the SEC yes. that
1: Yes. De- this Devastated the market, the market for, so. and I was right in the middle of that, yeah. so on the SPAC board that I'm on, um, luckily we didn't have to restate financials, but we ended up being very late in our financial statement filings because all the auditors were trying to restate, so it was very, it's very, very, it was very difficult. It cost companies a lot of money, and, um, you know, the SEC had the right to do that because I think at the end of the day, they probably were valued incorrectly if you really look at the technical language, but, you know, it was just a unfortunate
0: <laughs> i mean it you you did get pretty technical there sorry and I, I, but no that's good i mean it does highlight the importance if you are just in general if if you are a management team that's focused on running a company that's focused mm-hmm. on doing technology and then you're looking to raise capital and you run into all these financial instruments that no, no, are no, no. i mean I, I i like to think i'm smart i have a hard <laughs> time keeping up with you know, it was dizzying the the different mechanisms and just going through the SPAC process. How you know you've got to raise the pipe and you've got to yeah. you, you, uh, accommodate redemptions, which by the time we went out were just ridiculously high. But <laughs> having somebody like you on the board, having someone like you who understood it, who'd been through it all, was very comforting for me. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning.
1: Oh, thank so. you. No, I, I I feel the same about you. I've been really excited to learn. I really didn't know much about. Uh, you know, solid state batteries, and I learned so much. I'm so excited about it. So,
0: thank so you. So, now we're, well, you're, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> now we're on the other side of it. Now, yes. Now, we, now we're a public company. We we still have the SPAC label, even though we have no affiliation with, with any <laughs> yes. SPAC at this point, but right. we went public uh, as a SPAC company. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, we focus on just building this company and building value. What, in your opinion, how does that SPAC label for us wane? Does it wane? Does you know How does that evolve?
1: So I do believe over time the SPAC label is going to wane. Um, first of all, you're executing extremely well on your plan, and you have a real technology. Um, and as investors learn more and more about you, the SPAC won't matter um, because it was just a vehicle to go public. It really has no relevance whatsoever on uh, your future from a public company standpoint other than you have some shareholders that were in the SPAC that mm-hmm. are now your shareholders. Right. So other than that, there's really no major difference from investor viewpoint. It's just a focus on your company and your management team and your execution. I think over time, the SPAC will no longer be a four letter word. It'll be considered more of a positive vehicle. And so that'll change. The tides will change. Um, but um, you know, and also your stock actually performed quite well compared to some of the other specs. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that helped too.
0: I would have to mention our spec, the 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 uh, the Chardin, Next Tech spec that we did end up uh, merging with. I we have a, a good relationship with them. Yes. I think we we worked very well together in in navigating the the difficult markets that we were in, and they. Uh, You know, part of it is they were they were involved in selecting two of our board members, which they did so in a very thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we have two strong board members because of that. So I think in general, it is a good mechanism under certain circumstances, under certain circumstances, going public through a spec makes sense. Yes. And for us, it did. Yeah, I
1: completely agree.
0: So yeah. it's not going away. SPACs no. aren't going away. No, it's it's not uh, that I've
1: know of, unless the SEC wakes up one day and doesn't like them anymore. But <laughs> I think we're good. But
0: that's the thing: if it's not abused, if it's actually exactly. done in a way that's there's good diligence and you're not trying to pull the wool over investors, I don't know that that's happened. But right. I think no, that's the, that's the uh, impression for <clears throat> among some people.
1: No, I agree. I agree for sure.
0: Yeah. So um, you know, it's it's kind of funny that. Um, uh, a a woman with a a business degree her dad starts a company and that's that's how you got into it he just asked you to come in you went through through took it through nasdaq learned how to join boards joined boards of spacs, learned how to do spacs, and you know it it basically made it all
1: yeah possible
0: for us culminated with dragonfly energy
1: no, I was excited because I was able to bring, you know, I don't, I don't want to join a board unless I'm going to add value. And I felt like my SPAC experience could really help add some value when you're negotiating some of the fine tune items of, of the merger. And so it was really exciting for me. Right. For and sure. I mean,
0: that's obviously one thing. You're also the audit committee chair. And right. so, um, you know, I can't stress enough just as as a founder, as as a tech guy, having that expertise, having someone like that who can navigate those those right. waters is so important.
1: Thank you. And I, I have to say, you've surrounded yourself with an incredible management team. Um, your CFO, uh, John Marchetti, is extremely knowledgeable, has a wealth of background, and uh, he he's been very strong. So as an audit chair, typically I don't manage the CFO, but I have some oversight responsibility and it's great to have such a strong CFO and CEO leading the company for sure. Well,
0: thank you. And you know how we ended up with John is a is a whole other story. Yes. But I guess we'll <laughs> leave that for next time. Yes. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, for uh, joining today. Welcome to Reno. Welcome back thank to you. Reno. Thank you, I'm excited
1: to be here. I love this area. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have, uh, well, we're, you're here for a board meeting. Yes, so I'm uh, here
1: for a board meeting <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Exciting times. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Limitless Energy Podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms.